Over the last few years, I'm sure you have heard terms, things like uh, cisgender, intersectionality, homophobia, Islamophobia, uh, heteromativity, centering, white fragility, intersectionality, and all these other terms that all fall under what is known as critical theory. Now, critical theory is one of those things that have been going on in the halls of academia, say like for the last couple decades or so, things like queer studies and white white theology and, and critical race theory itself and, um, you know, uh, critical pedagogy and all these others. Well, on the Let's Get Real podcast, I want to deal with those terms and I want to deal with the fact of this whole idea of the incompatibility with critical theory and Christianity. My name is Rob Lundberg and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. Welcome back to the Let's Get Real podcast. My name is Rob Lundberg, and you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. You know, we are living in a different day and age. I think you and I can definitely agree about that, where there's a lot of buzzwords flying around and a lot of what I call Kafka things happening where a man or a person, a professor, uh, a government official is basically presumed guilty and no chance of being innocent. We're seeing it all over the place. We're seeing it in the sports world. We are seeing it all over. And this is what is called critical theory. In some cases, it's called critical race theory. And I mentioned in the introduction, you know, it's been going on for a little while with the, uh, in the halls of academia with post-colonial studies and queer theory and critical pedagogy or pedagogy or whatever you want to, however you want to pronounce it, whiteness studies, and even all of these things like critical race theory. Now, all of these fall under an umbrella known as critical theory. And critical theory, more or less, is an ideology that is also known as cultural Marxism. Now, I did an episode a few weeks ago on socialism and compatibility with Christianity. We found that, that there is no comparison. And we also dealt with the issue of communism and its relationship to Christianity as far as communism as a worldview. And we found that there is no compatibility with that at all. Now, what I want to do today is I want to also show how Cultural Marxism, critical theory, have no place, let me say that again, no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, why in the world are we seeing these churches going woke? What are we seeing about these pastors, and particularly one of the largest evangelical denominations in Christendom, in American Christendom at that matter, is the Southern Baptist Convention, a lot of the pastors are going woke. They're falling into the deception of cultural Marxism. And you might say, well, Rob, you know, these guys are men of God. 
you know, I could, folks, I could name names. I can name names. There is no business for a pastor who is the light or the lampstand in a church to be embracing the culture in order to think that they're going to fulfill a great commission in order to be uh, a, a beacon of light when they fall into the ideology themselves and they're promoting it and they're going and deceiving the sheep. So what I want to do is I want to deal with this whole thing of critical theory, a.k.a. cultural Marxism. Now, what is critical theory? And what should we as Christians think about it? Well, modern critical theory views reality through a lens of the clenched fist of power. Each individual is seen either as oppressed or as the oppressor, depending on their ethnicity, their class, gender, sexual preference, and a number of other categories. Now, oppressed groups are those that are subjugated not by physical force or even overt discrimination, but through the exercise of hegemonic power, the ability of dominant groups to impose their norms, their values, their expectations on uh, a culture, a subculture, uh, an environment, and a society at large as a whole, relegating other groups to subordinate positions. Now, I could tell you about something that happened to me not too long ago, but I'm not going to do that this episode. And if you want to, if you have any other questions, please email me at roblunberg315, and I'll be more than happy to uh, interact with you. And, and share with you some things that I experienced in my previous job. But I'm not going to go there today. And of course, space does not permit for us, or time itself does not permit for us, a comprehensive treatment of this important subject. So what I'm going to do basically is I want to highlight some things about critical theory and how we should respond to the subject of critical theory. Now, first and foremost... First, not everything that critical, the critical theory affirms is false, okay? Now let me explain this before somebody goes sideways on me. Like almost any discipline, there are areas in which Christians should agree with critical theory. And let me give you an example. Critical race theorists affirm that race as it has been defined historically and legally, is a social construct and not a concept legitimately rooted in human nature or human biology. Secondly, the notion of hegemonic power is also legitimate in the fact that it does exist, okay? Christians have long recognized how various institutions can intentionally or unintentionally perpetuate ideas like secularism, naturalism, and even relativism that create resistance to the gospel. Similarly, Christian parents have to fight against false standards of beauty and sexual, uh, sexually prom sexuality that is promulgated by the entertainment and advertising industries. These are examples that show hegemonic power and action as the culture imbibes norms and values promoted by dominant institutions. Thirdly, 
is that critical theory functions as a worldview in and of itself. And by the way, I'm going to be writing a course on analyzing today's worldviews, and this is going to be part of our lecture series in, in that when I teach it at Cornerstone College. So if you're looking for a, a, a good uh, place to go and get trained and you live locally in the Fredericksburg, Stafford area, and you're looking to uh, get a, uh, a concentration in apologetics with, with a piece of paper, with a certificate or a degree, uh, email me at roblundberg350 and I can tell you more about it. But again, um, critical theory does function as a worldview. Okay, that's where I kind of get off track here. It answers our most basic questions of origin, meaning, morality, destiny, and being. In other words, who we are, what is our fundamental problem, and what is our purpose for our existence, and what is the solution to that problem? What is our primary moral duty? Who are we? What are we made up of? And um, what constitutes our being, and how should we live? Christianity provides us with an overarching meta-narrative that runs from creation to redemption. We are, creature, we are creatures. Creatures, I'm sounding like I'm Scottish. Uh, we're creatures uh, made in the image and likeness of God who have sinned. You know, we've messed things up. We've sinned against God. And we need to be rescued through the atoning work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary and be justified by his resurrection. And we are called to love both God and our neighbor. In contrast, critical theory is associated also with a meta-narrative that runs from oppression to liberation. We are members either of a dominant group or a marginalized group, the oppressor versus the oppressed. Okay, with respect to a given identity marker, such as either we need to divest ourselves of power and seek to liberate others, or we need to acquire power and liberate ourselves by dismantling all structures and institutions that subjugate and oppress. In critical theory, the greatest sin is oppression and the greatest virtue is the pursuit of liberation. And of course, you want to know a Christian movement, so-called, I don't think it's Christian, but it's what we are seeing today in the emergent church vis-a-vis progressive Christianity. And I'm going to have an episode on this a little bit later on down the road as far as and show you how these things do dovetail together, okay? So with respect to the narratives with these respective narratives, I guess the best way to they will try to vie for dominance in all areas of life. Consider for the example the question of identity. You know, who are we? The our identity is primarily defined in terms of our vertical relationship to God. That's the question. Okay? I think we could form that into a question. Is our identity uh, defined in terms of our vertical relationship with God? And the question then would be, does God exist okay, with, with regards to that? And then, of course, the converse of that is, or is in primarily terms, the horizontal dynamic between groups of people. 
Notice that one is vertical in the Christian worldview, and the other one is horizontal in the critical theory worldview. Okay, you got people to people in critical theory. In Christianity, you've got create creature to God. Okay. Another consideration, uh, we can consider the questions of our fundamental problem as humans. Is our fundamental problem sin? In which we all equally stand condemned before holy God. Or is our fundamental problem oppression? In which case members of the dominant group are tainted by guilt in a way that members of subordinate groups are not. But see, what it does, it puts, pits the haves and the haves-nots. Power versus oppression. The points of tension here are numerous. Invariably, we will be forced to choose between critical theory and Christianity. And in terms of our values, ethics, and our priorities, which view under those two umbrellas are we going to embrace? Now, there's a fourth thing here that I want to bring up here is that because critical theory understands all relationships in terms of power dynamics, it can be confined to a single issue such as class or race or even gender. Consistency will push us to apply this framework to other areas. And critical theorists classify racism, sexism, capitalism, heteronormativity, cisgender privilege, and Christian privilege as forms of oppression. All these cases, a dominant group has imposed its values on a subordinate group. And in all these cases, the solution is to dismantle the norms that keep the minoritized group in bondage. Christians who embrace the paradigm of critical theory as a solution to racism or sexism often question the biblical understanding of gender roles, gender identity, sexual orientation, marriage, parental authority, and even the uniqueness of the Christian faith. That is where progressive Christianity is right now. Finally, and fifthly, critical theorist claims that members of oppressed groups have special access to truth because of their lived experience of oppression. In other words, you got more truth if you've lived out uh, an op uh, something where in your life you've been oppressed by something. You got that truth, and those who, are, who have not by the way, they're your oppressors, kind of, okay? So, for example, let me give you an insight here. It's, you know, one that's kind of, I guess you could say, it's unavailable to members of the oppressor groups are those that are, who are blinded by their privilege because they are blinded by their privilege, so-called. Consequently, any appeals to objective evidence or reason made by the dominant group are actually superstitious bids for continued institutional power. This view is rooted in standpoint theory, or also known as organic Marxism, and repurposed by feminist theology, which argues that knowledge is conditioned and determined by social Location. Now, 
this stance is particularly dangerous because it undermines the function of Scripture as the final arbiter of truth accessible to all people regardless of their demographic. You know, we have passages, and you can look, write these down and then look them up a little bit later. Psalm 119 to verse, uh, Psalm 130. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. Hebrews 8, 10 through 12. Now, if a person from an oppressed group appeals to Scripture, his concerns can be dismissed as a veiled attempt to protect his privilege. Now, let me also say this. If you look at cultural Marxism, or if you look at the Marxist worldview, you have an oppressor versus the oppressed. If you look at liberation theology, you have an oppressor versus the oppressed. And if you look at feminist theology, you have the patriarchal oppressor versus the feminine oppressed. What is the common, what is the common value here? They are upper versus lower, and the only goal is revolution. When you look at rev uh, Marxism in its purest essence, we saw this with the Bolshevik Revolution and the communist revolutions all over the globe during, and if you ever took a good Western civilization class in college, you would have picked that up. But folks, we need to engage this as Christians. So how do we do that? We need to engage critical theory. Now, while critical theory is a serious and growing threat to the church, a few important concerns or admonitions are in order. First, we should be careful and we should be charitable in our language. One of, on the one hand, Christians should be hesitant to throw around words like intersectionality and white privilege without taking time to understand the ideology in which these concepts are embedded. On the other hand, the bare fact that someone talks about oppression or social justice isn't remotely sufficient to conclude that they've been embraced, that they themselves have embraced their critical theory. Let me explain what I mean here. Just because you hear somebody say these terms, um, like intersectionality or white privilege or anything like that, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have embraced critical theory. They may be using those terms just in a, in, a, in a different context, and you need to be careful about going and saying, well, you know, Job is embracing, because I heard him use that term, intersectionality. We need to make sure that we be very, very careful with this. Now, the bare facts that someone talks about oppression and social justice isn't remotely uh, sufficient to conclude that they have embraced critical theory. Now, there are basic rules and I want to at least share some things with you on this, um, for good dialogue are helpful. First off, what you and I need to do is we need to avoid the name calling. We need to engage with people's explicit statements, not speculations about their hidden intentions. 
We need to attack ideas and not people. Okay? And any good conversant, in order for understanding and even, even having control in a conversation, it is important to ask questions, speak the truth in love, with words full of grace, seasoned with salt, and in an increasingly tribalized and fractured culture, Christians should be known for graciousness toward those with whom they disagree, particularly those who profess faith in Christ. Next, we should reconsider our use of the phrase cultural Marxism. Now, I've gone and I've talked to you and shared with you about Marxism and cultural Marxism, but we need to be very careful. Okay, and here's why. The term is used at times in academic literature to refer to critical theory because of the work of a number of 20, 20th century Marxian groups who problematize hegemonic power, including Antonio Gramsci, T.W. Adorno, George Lucas, Lukacs, L-U-K-A-C-S, if you want to look that up, Max Horkheimer, Walter Benjamin, Terry Eagleton, Jürgen Habermas, and Paulo Freire, and the latter two being qualified as Marxian or Marxist themselves. Similarly, the term cultural Marxism has been employed by respected public figures like David Brooks and Al Mohler. Now, there's a lot of questions about Al, I'll give you that. But what we need to do is we need to understand that even when Al speaks, we need to give him grace and, and understand that he needs, we need to understand where he's coming from. Some people say he's gone woke. I, I've leaned toward that, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to take a look at that. At the same time, it also has shown up recently in manifestos of mass shooters and makes frequent appearances on neo-Nazi websites. We need to make sure that we don't label people because of this. We need to be very careful, okay, is what I'm saying here. Because critical theory is more common, is, more of a, is the more commonly scholarly term and has none of the neg negative associations of cultural Marxism. However, it will convey our intended meaning, meaning more effectively. Thirdly, we need to recognize that the local church is a witness of God's kingdom. In a world saturated with evil and becoming even more evil, and the divided and, and it is very easily divided by enmity. It is no wonder that critical theory's promise of justice and inclusion are attractive. When the church demonstrates true neighborly love and fellowship across the lines of race, class, and gender, 
it undermines the idea that critical theory is the only path to human flourishing and gives credibility to the charge that critical theory fall, falls or tumbles or crumbles and fails to deliver on its promises. And then lastly, we cannot overstate the importance of being directly acquainted with primarily sourced material. Christians in general are woefully ill-equipped to accurately present and critique critical theory because of relying too heavily on secondary sources. If we had to recommend just one book at the popular level that demonstrates critical theory in action, it would be Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. That has become a seminal work on the New York Times sellers list. Okay? Robin D'Angelo, White Fragility, talks about intersectionality. It's essential reading for anyone trying to understand the basic ideas and methods on critical theory. Now, as Christians committed to reaching our neighbors with the gospel, it is vital for us to understand not only the concepts that they are shaping the culture, but also their relationship to a biblical worldview. So as I wrap up this episode, let me give you a word of encouragement and even a word of admonition. Let's commit together to understanding critical theory so that you and I can recognize it, that we can critique it, and even more importantly, we can show people that true freedom and joy are ultimately found in Jesus Christ alone. Remember that when you talk about critical theory, you hear anything about critical theory, it's always one person against another, one group against another. The Christian worldview doesn't have anything to do that, do with that. The, the, the whole idea of the Christian faith is God reaching down to man to demonstrate his love by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus came to fix the relationship between the sinful man and to his creator. But it's only on an individual basis. I can't stand before God for you other than to pray for you now. You can't do that for me. But what we can do is look to God, understand that we are broken, our brokenness separates us from God because our brokenness is sin. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God demonstrated that love toward us that even though we were stinking wretched sinners, Jesus died for us. That if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. 
we will be saved because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise from God. And Jesus himself said, anybody who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life and will never, cross, and will never perish, but they have crossed over from death to life. God desires a relationship with you and God desires you to know him. He doesn't want to know you because he can't want for anything, but he can desire to know to have to, for you to know him. But you are the one who is apart from him if you don't know Jesus as your savior. So, my concern for the church is that we need to learn how to defend our faith. We need to bring apologetics back into our discipleship. We need to bring it into our evangelism. We need to be able to give an answer for the hope that we have to those who are wrapped up in the whole idea of critical theory and that we can go and show them the love of Jesus. You've been listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for listening and indulging this material today. If you do have any questions, please email us at roblundberg315 at gmail.com. And as you go out this week, go out listening for those opportunities to share the gospel with somebody. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to the twelve and he appeared to a handful of others. And then the apostle Paul says, he appeared to me also as one who is untimely born. Folks, Jesus is risen from the dead and we can walk in the power of his resurrection. So as I wrap up this show today, go out and give them heaven. And we will be back with you next week. Lord bless you.